Section two of the Queen's Necklace by Alexandre Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Prologue, Monsieur de la Perouse, Part One. At the same moment, the noise of carriages in the street warned the marshal that his guests were arriving, and soon after, thanks to the punctuality of his maitre d'hôtel, nine persons were seated round the oval table in the dining room. Nine lackeys silent as shadows quick without bustle and attentive without importunity glided over the carpet and passed among the guests without ever touching their chairs which were surrounded with furs which were wrapped round the legs of the sitters these furs with the heat from the stoves and the odors from the wine and the dinner diffused a degree of comfort which manifested itself in the gaiety of the guests who had just finished their soup no sound was heard from without and none within save that made by the guests themselves, for the plates were changed and the dishes moved round with the most perfect quiet. Nor from the maitre d'hôtel could a whisper be heard. He seemed to give his orders with his eyes. The guests, therefore, began to feel as though they were alone. It seemed to them that servants so silent must also be deaf. Monsieur de Richelieu was the first who broke the silence by saying to the guest on his right hand, "'But, Count!' you drink nothing this was addressed to a man about thirty-eight years of age short fair-haired and with high shoulders his eye a clear blue now bright but oftener with a pensive expression and with nobility stamped unmistakably on his open and manly forehead i only drink water marshal he replied excepting with louis the fifteenth returned the marshal i had the honor of dining at his table with you and you deigned that day to drink wine ha you recall a pleasing remembrance marshal that was in seventeen seventy one it was toquet from the imperial cellar it was like that with which my maitre d'hotel will now have the honor to fill your glass replied richelieu bowing Count Haga raised his glass and looked through it. The wine sparkled in the light like liquid rubies. "'It is true,' he said. "'Marshal, I thank you.' These words were uttered in a manner so noble that the guests, as if by a common impulse, rose and cried, "'Long live the king!' "'Yes,' said Count Haga. "'Long live his majesty, the king of France.' "'What say you, Monsieur de la Perouse?' "'My lord,' replied the captain, with that tone at once flattering and respectful, common to those accustomed to address crowned heads, "'I have just left the king, and his majesty has shown me so much kindness that no one will more willingly cry, "'Long live the king, than I. Only, as in another hour I must leave you to join the two ships which his majesty has put at my disposal.' once out of this house i shall take the liberty of saying long life to another king whom i should be proud to serve had i not already so good a master this health that you propose said madame du barry who sat on the marshal's left hand we are all ready to drink but the oldest of us should take the lead is it you that that concerns or me or tavernay said the marshal laughing i do not believe 
said another on the opposite side, "'that Monsieur de Richelieu is the senior of our party.' "'Then it is you, Tavernet,' said the Duke. "'No, I am eight years younger than you. I was born in 1704,' returned T. "'How rude!' said the marshal to expose my eighty-eight years impossible duke that you are eighty-eight said monsieur de condorcet it is however but true it is a calculation easy to make and therefore unworthy of an algebraist like you marquis i am of the last century the great century as we call it my date is sixteen ninety six impossible cried de lunay oh if your father were here he would not say impossible he who when governor of the bastille had me for a lodger in seventeen fourteen the senior in age here however said monsieur de favras is the wine count haga is now drinking you are right monsieur de favras this wine is a hundred and twenty years old to the wine then belongs the honour one moment gentlemen said cogliostro raising his eyes beaming with intelligence and vivacity i claim the precedence you claim precedence over the tokay exclaimed all the guests in chorus assuredly returned cogliostro calmly since it was i who bottled it you yes i on the day of the victory won by montecucully over the turks in sixteen sixty four a burst of laughter followed these words which cogliostro had pronounced with perfect gravity by this calculation you would be something like one hundred and thirty years old said madame du barry for you must have been at least ten years old when you bottled the wine i was more than ten when i performed that operation madame as on the following day i had the honour of being deputed by his majesty the emperor of austria to congratulate montecucully who by the victory of saint cotard had avenged the day at a speck in sclavonia in which the infidels treated the imperialists so roughly, who were my friends and companions in arm, in 1536. Oh, said Count Haga, as coldly as Cogliostro himself, you must have been at least ten years old when you were at that memorable battle. A terrible defeat, Count, returned Cogliostro, less terrible than cressy however said condorcet smiling true sir for at the battle of cressy it was not only an army but all france that was beaten but then this defeat was scarcely a fair victory to the english for king edward had cannon a circumstance of which philip de valois was ignorant or rather which he would not believe although i warned him that I had with my own eyes seen four pieces of artillery which Edward had brought from the Venetians. Oh, said Madame du Barry, you knew Philip de Valois? Madame, I had the honour to be one of the five lords who escorted him off the field of battle. 
I came to France with the poor old king of Bohemia, who was blind, and who threw away his life when he heard that the battle was lost. Ah, sir, said Monsieur de la Parousse, how much I regret that instead of the battle of Crecy, it was not that of Actium at which you assisted. Why so, sir? Oh, because you might have given me some nautical details, which, in spite of Plutarch's fine narration, have ever been obscure to me. Which, sir, I should be happy to be of service to you. Oh, you were there then also. No, sir. I was then in Egypt. I had been employed by Queen Cleopatra to restore the library at Alexandria, an office for which I was better qualified than anyone else, from having personally known the best authors of antiquity. And you have seen Queen Cleopatra? said Madame du Barry. As I now see you, madame. Was she as pretty as they say? Madame, you know beauty is only comparative, a charming queen in Egypt. In Paris she would only have been a pretty grisette. Say no harm of grisettes, Count. God forbid. Then Cleopatra was? Little, slender, lively and intelligent, with large almond-shaped eyes, a Grecian nose, teeth like pearls, and a hand like your own, Countess, a fit hand to hold a scepter. See, here is a diamond which she gave me, and which she had had from her brother Ptolemy. She wore it on her thumb. On her thumb? cried Madame du Barry. Yes, it was an Egyptian fashion. And I, you see, can hardly put it on my little finger. And taking off the ring, he handed it to Madame du Barry. It was a magnificent diamond, of such fine water, and so beautifully cut as to be worth thirty thousand or forty thousand francs. The diamond was passed round the table and returned to Cogliostro, who, putting it quietly on his finger again, said, Ah, I see well you are all incredulous. This fatal incredulity I have had to contend against all my life. Philip de Valois would not listen to me when I told him to leave open a retreat to Edward. Cleopatra would not believe me when I warned her that Antony would be beaten. The Trojans would not credit me, and when I said to them, with reference to the wooden horse, Cassandra is inspired. Listen to Cassandra. <laughs> it is charming, said Madame du Barry, shaking with laughter. I have never met a man at once so serious and so diverting. I assure you, replied Cogliostro, that Jonathan was much more so. He was really a charming companion, until he was killed by Saul. He nearly drove me crazy with laughing. "'Do you know,' said the Duc de Richelieu, "'if you go on in this way you will drive poor Tavernay crazy. He is so afraid of death that he is staring at you with all his eyes, hoping you to be an immortal.' "'Immortal I cannot say. But one thing I can affirm—' "'What?' 
cried Tavernay, who was the most eager listener, that I have seen all the people and events of which I have been speaking to you. You have known Montecuccoli? As well as I know you, Monsieur de Favre, and indeed much better, for this is but the second or third time I have had the honor of seeing you, while I lived nearly a year under the same tent with him of whom you speak. You knew Philip de Valois? As I have already had the honor of telling you, Monsieur de Condorcet, but when he returned to Paris I left France and returned to Bohemia. And Cleopatra? Yes, Countess. Cleopatra, I can tell you, had eyes as black as yours, and shoulders almost as beautiful. But what do you know of my shoulders? They are like what Cassandra's once were, and there is still a further resemblance. She had like you, or rather, you have like her, a little black spot on your left side, just above the sixth rib. Oh, Count, now you really are a sorcerer. No, no, cried the marshal, laughing. It was I who told him. And pray, how do you know? The marshal bit his lips and replied, Oh, it is a family secret. Well, really, marshal, said the countess, one should put on a double coat of rouge before visiting you and turning again to cogliostro then sir you have the art of renewing your youth for although you say you are three or four thousand years old you scarcely look forty yes madame i do possess that secret oh then sir impart it to me to you madame it is useless. Your youth is already renewed. Your age is only what it appears to be. And you do not look thirty. Ha! Huh. You flatter. No, madame. I speak only the truth. But it is easily explained. You have already tried my receipt. How so? You have taken my elixir. I? You, countess. Oh, you could not have forgotten it. Do you not remember a certain house in the Rue Saint-Cloud, and coming there on some business respecting Monsieur de Sartina? You remember rendering a service to one of my friends, called Joseph Balsamo, and that this Joseph Balsamo gave you a bottle of elixir, recommending you take three drops every morning? Do you not remember having done this regularly until the last year, when the bottle became exhausted?' If you do not remember all this, Countess, it is more than forgetfulness. It is ingratitude. Oh, Monsieur Cogliostro, you are telling me things. Which were only known to yourself, I am aware. But what would be the use of being a sorcerer if one did not know one's neighbor's secrets? Then Joseph Balsamo has, like you, the secret of this famous elixir? No, madame, but he was one of my best friends, and I gave him three or four bottles. And has he any left? Oh, I know nothing of that. For the last two or three years poor Balsamo has disappeared. 
The last time I saw him was in America, on the banks of the Ohio. He was setting off on an expedition to the Rocky Mountains, and since then I have heard that he is dead. "'Come, come, Count!' cried the marshal. "'Let us have the secret, by all means!' "'Are you speaking seriously, sir?' said Count Haga. "'Very seriously, sire. I beg pardon. I mean Count.' And Cogliostro bowed in such a way as to indicate that his error was a voluntary one. "'Then,' said the marshal, "'Madame du Barry is not old enough to be made young again?' "'No, on my conscience.' "'Well, then I will give you another subject. Here is my friend, Monsieur Tavernay. What do you say to him? Does he not look like a contemporary of Pontius Pilate? But perhaps he, on the contrary, is too old.' Cogliostro looked at the baron. "'No,' said he. "'Ah, my dear Count,' exclaimed Richelieu, if you will renew his youth i will proclaim you a true pupil of medea you wish it asked cagliostro of the host and looking round at the same time on all assembled every one called out yes and you also monsieur tavernay i more than any one said the baron well it is easy returned Cogliostro, and he drew from his pocket a small bottle and poured into a glass some of the liquid it contained. Then, mixing these drops with half a glass of iced champagne, he passed it to the baron. All eyes followed his movements eagerly. The baron took the glass, but as he was about to drink, he hesitated. Everyone began to laugh, but Cogliostro called out, "'Drink, baron!' or you will lose a liquor of which each drop is worth a hundred louis d'or the devil cried richelieu that is even better than toquet i must then drink said the baron almost trembling or pass the glass to another sir that some one at least may profit by it pass it here said richelieu holding out his hand the baron raised the glass, and decided, doubtless, by the delicious smell and the beautiful rose color which those few drops had given to the champagne, he swallowed the magic liquor. In an instant a kind of shiver ran through him. He seemed to feel all his old and sluggish blood rushing quickly through his veins, from his heart to his feet. His wrinkled skin seemed to expand. His eyes, half covered by their lids, appeared to open without his will, and the pupils to grow and brighten, the trembling of his hands to cease, his voice to strengthen, and his limbs to recover their former youthful elasticity. In fact, it seemed as if the liquid in its descent had regenerated his whole body. A cry of surprise, wonder, and admiration rang through the room. Tavernay, who had been slowly eating with his gums, began to feel famished. He seized a plate and helped himself largely to a ragout, and then demolished a partridge, bones and all, calling out that his teeth were coming back to him. He ate, laughed, and cried for joy for half an hour while the others remained gazing at him in stupefied wonder. Then, little by little, he failed again, 
like a lamp whose oil is burning out, and all the former signs of old age returned upon him. Oh, groaned he, once more, adieu to my youth. And he gave utterance to a deep sigh, while two tears rolled over his cheeks. Instinctively, at this mournful spectacle of the old man first made young again, and then seeming to become yet older than before, from the contrast, the sigh was echoed all round the table. "'It is easy to explain, gentlemen,' said Cogliostro. "'I gave the baron but thirty-five drops of the elixir. He became young, therefore, for only thirty-five minutes.' "'Oh, more, more, Count!' cried the old man eagerly. "'No, sir, for perhaps the second trial would kill you.' Of all the guests, Madame du Barry, who had already tested the virtue of the elixir, seemed most deeply interested, while old Taverney's youth seemed thus to renew itself. She had watched him with delight and triumph, and half fancied herself growing young again at the sight, while she could hardly refrain from endeavouring to snatch from Cogliostro the wonderful bottle. But now, seeing him resume his old age even quicker than he had lost it, alas! she said sadly, all is vanity and deception. The effects of this wonderful secret last for thirty-five minutes. That is to say, said Count Hacker, that in order to resume your youth for two years, you would have to drink a perfect river. Everyone laughed. Oh, said de Condorcet, the calculation is simple, a mere nothing of three million one hundred and fifty three thousand drops for one year's youth an inundation said la perouse however sir continued madame du barry according to you i have not needed so much as a small bottle about four times the size of that you hold has been sufficient to arrest the march of time for ten years just so madame and you alone approach this mysterious truth. The man who has already grown old needs this large quantity to produce an immediate and powerful effect. But a woman of thirty as you were, or a man of forty as I was, when I begin to drink this elixir, still full of life and youth, needs but ten drops at each period of decay, and with these ten drops may eternally continue his life and youth at the same point what do you call the periods of decay asked count haga the natural periods count in a state of nature man's strength increases until thirty-five years of age it then remains stationary until forty and from that time forward it begins to diminish but almost imperceptibly until fifty then the process becomes quicker and quicker to the day of his death in our state of civilization when the body is weakened by excess cares and maladies the failure begins at thirty-five the time then to take nature is when she is stationary so as to forestall the beginning of decay he who possessor as i am of the secret of this elixir knows how to seize the happy moment will live as I live, always young, or at least always young enough for what he has to do in the world. 
oh monsieur cagliostro cried the countess why if you could choose your own age did you not stop at twenty instead of at forty because madame said cagliostro smiling it suits me better to be a man of forty still healthy and vigorous than a raw youth of twenty oh said the countess doubtless madame continued cogliostro at twenty one pleases women of thirty at forty we govern women of twenty and men of sixty i yield sir said the countess for you are a living proof of the truth of your own words then i said tavernet piteously am condemned it is too late for me monsieur de richelieu has been more skilful than you said la perruse naively and i have always heard that he had some secret it is a report that the women have spread laughed count hagger is that a reason for disbelieving a duke asked madame du barry the old duke colored a rare thing for him but replied do you wish gentlemen to have my receipt oh by all means well then it is simply to take care of yourself ho ho cried all but monsieur cogliostro continued madame du barry i must ask more about the elixir well madame you said you first used it at forty years of age yes madame and that since that time that is since the siege of troy a little before madame that you have always remained forty years old you see me now but then sir said de condorcet you argue not only the perpetuation of youth but the preservation of life for if since the siege of troy you have been always forty you have never died true marquis i have never died but are you then invulnerable like achilles or still more so for achilles was killed by the arrow of paris no i am not invulnerable and there is my great regret said cogliostro then sir you may be killed alas yes how then have you escaped all accidents for three thousand five hundred years it is chance marquis but will you follow my reasoning yes yes cried all with eagerness cogliostro continued what is the first requisite to life he asked spreading out his white and beautiful hands covered with rings among which cleopatra's shone conspicuously is it not health certainly and the way to preserve health is proper management said count haga right count and why should not my elixir be the best possible method of treatment and this treatment i have adopted and with it have preserved my youth and with youth health and life 
but all things exhaust themselves the finest constitution as well as the worst the body of paris like that of vulcan said the countess perhaps you knew paris by the by perfectly madame he was a fine young man but really did not deserve all that has been said of him in the first place he had red hair red hair horrible unluckily madame helen was not of your opinion but to return to our subject you say monsieur de tavernay that all things exhaust themselves but you also know that everything recovers again regenerates or is replaced whichever you please to call it the famous knife of saint hubert which so often changed both blade and handle is an example for through every change it still remained the knife of saint hubert the wines which the monks of heidelberg preserve so carefully in their cellars remain the same wine although each year they pour into it a fresh supply therefore this wine always remains clear bright and delicious while the wine which opimus and i hid in the earthen jars was when i tried it a hundred years after only a thick dirty substance which might have been eaten but certainly could not have been drunk well i follow the example of the monks of heidelberg and preserve my body by introducing into it every year new elements which regenerate the old every morning a new and fresh atom replaces in my blood my flesh and my bones some particle which has perished i stay that ruin which most men allow insensibly to invade their whole being and i force into action all those powers which god has given to every human being but which most people allow to lie dormant this is the great study of my life and as in all things he who does one thing constantly does that thing better than others i am becoming more skilful than others in avoiding danger thus you would not get me to enter a tottering house i have seen too many houses not to tell at a glance the safe from the unsafe you would not see me go out hunting with a man who managed his gun badly from cephalus who killed his wife down to the regent who shot the prince in the eye i have seen too many unskilful people you could not make me accept in battle the post which many a man would take without thinking because i should calculate in a moment the chances of danger at each point you will tell me that one cannot foresee a stray bullet but the man who has escaped a thousand gunshots will hardly fall a victim to one now ah you look incredulous but am i not a living proof i do not tell you that i am immortal only that i know better than others how to avoid danger for instance i would not remain here now alone with monsieur de launay who is thinking that if he had me in the bastille he would put my immortality to the test of starvation neither would i remain with monsieur de condorcet for he is thinking that he might just empty into my glass the contents of that ring which he wears on his left hand and which is full of poison not with any evil intent but just as a scientific experiment to see if i should die the two people named looked at each other and colored confess monsieur de launay 
we are not in a court of justice. Besides, thoughts are not punished. Did you not think what I said? And you, Monsieur de Condorcet, would you not have liked to let me taste the poison in your ring, in the name of your beloved mistress? Science. Indeed, said Monsieur de Launay, laughing. I confess you are right. It was folly, but that folly did pass through my mind just before you accused me. And I, said Monsieur de Condorcet, will not be less candid. I did think that if you tasted the contents of my ring, I would not give much for your life. A cry of admiration burst from the rest of the party, these avowals confirming not the immortality, but the penetration of Count Cogliostro. "'You see,' said Cogliostro quietly, "'that I divined these dangers. Well, it is the same with other things. The experience of a long life reveals to me at a glance much of the past and of the future of those whom I meet.' My capabilities in this way extend even to animals and inanimate objects. If I get into a carriage, I can tell from the look of the horses if they are likely to run away, and from that of the coachman, or if he will overturn me. If I go on board ship, I can see if the captain is ignorant or obstinate, and consequently likely to endanger me. I should then leave the coachman or captain, escape from those horses or that ship, I do not deny chance. I only lessen it, and instead of incurring a hundred chances like the rest of the world, I prevent ninety-nine of them, and an endeavor to guard against the hundredth. This is the good of having lived three thousand years. Then, <laughs> said La Perouse, laughing, amidst the wonder and enthusiasm created by this speech of Cogliostro's, you should come with me when I embark to make the tour of the world. You would render me a signal service. Cogliostro did not reply. Monsieur de Richelieu, continued La Perouse, as the Count Cogliostro, which is very intelligible, does not wish to quit such good company, you must permit me to do so without him. Excuse me, Count Haga, and you, madame, but it is seven o'clock and I have promised his majesty to start at a quarter past. But since Count Cogliostro will not be tempted to come with me and see my ships, perhaps he can tell me what will happen to me. Between Versailles and Brest, from Brest to the Pole, I ask nothing. That is my own business. Cogliostro looked at La Perouse with such a melancholy air, so full both of pity and kindness, that the others were struck by it. The sailor himself, however, did not remark it. He took leave of the company, put on his fur riding-coat, into one of the pockets of which Madame du Barry pushed a bottle of delicious cordial, welcome to a traveller, but which he would not have provided for himself, to recall to him. She said his absent friends during the long nights of a journey in such bitter cold. La Perouse, still full of gaiety, bowed respectfully to Count Haga and held out his hand to the old marshal. Adieu, dear La Perouse, said the latter. No, Duke, au revoir, replied La Perouse. One would think I was going away forever. Now, I am but to circumnavigate the globe. Five or six years' absence, 
it is scarcely worth while to say adieu for that five or six years said the marshal you might almost as well say five or six centuries days are years at my age therefore i say adieu bah ask the sorcerer returned la perouse still laughing he will promise you twenty years more life will you not count cagliostro oh count why did i not hear sooner of these precious drops of yours whatever the price i should have sipped a ton madame another kiss of that beautiful hand i shall certainly not see another till i return au revoir and he left the room end of prologue monsieur de la parouse part one recording by john van stan savannah georgia